The Inside Vegas Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is brought to you by MyBookie. MyBookie.ag is the official online sports book of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast. Enter promo code SGP50 to activate a 50% deposit bonus up to $3,000 today. That's MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. In this March, the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is bringing Play Balto to everyone out there for March Madness. PlayBalto.com is hosting our March Madness Bracket Challenge free to enter and thousands of dollars in prizes up for grabs, including $100,000 for a perfect bracket. Reserve your bracket today at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash madness. And finally, the SGP 10K free roll. The Sports Gaming Podcast is trying to give away $1,000 in their quest for 10,000 followers on Twitter. If at Gambling Podcast gets to 10,000 before March 18th, they will give away $1,000 to one random tweeter. All you have to do is enter the promo hashtag SGP10K and at and tag Gambling Podcast in a tweet. Unlimited entries. The more entries you enter, the bigger chance you have to win. That's hashtag SGP10K and at Gambling Podcast. We are live from Las Vegas, and today is Wednesday, March 13th. I know everyone getting ready for conference tournaments. Hopefully, you're making your plans to come out to Vegas for March Madness and all that good stuff. Of course, we're going to break into everything from Selection Sunday. We probably should have uh, maybe two shows this uh, upcoming next week, as one will probably be live, or we'll do kind of a crossover with the regular SGP feed with myself, Colby, Ryan, and Sean, and all that good stuff, talking everything NCAA tournament. Uh, For this upcoming episode, Major League Baseball is here. And I know it's a weird time that people want to talk about college hoops and all of that, which dominates it. Uh, But baseball will be here before you know it for the foreseeable future. Um, And I think it's an important thing to get out ahead of the market. And I thought it was a great time right before uh, the NCAA tournament to take a broad look at everything going on in terms of season win totals, uh, futures, player props, everything and everything with one of the sharpest minds I've come across in the baseball industry. And that is Sean, who runs samconmodels.com, a model and analytical driven handicapper who has had some incredible success. Um, he did not enter the super contest, but every play that he posted, um, would have, I think it was like sixth place. Um, that was good. It was absolutely incredible. He did the same thing in college, uh, football, college basketball, um, major league baseball, I'm sure will be absolutely no different for him. So we go through absolutely everything division by division, uh, season win totals, player props, what to look out for, um, in this upcoming 2019 major league baseball season. So um, I hope you guys enjoy it. You can find him on Twitter at SamConModels and SamConModels.com for all of his amazing content, um, articles he posts, puts out, and everything for the upcoming Major League Baseball season, and is still posting uh, college basketball as well. So hope you guys enjoy this conversation between myself and Sean from SamConModels.com. And joining me on the Inside Vegas podcast, the man that, much like some different people we've had throughout uh, the time of this show, ha- have rose and they have rose meteorically. And the wave of the future seems to be analytics and modeling and somebody who has taken that to the next level. Um, an unbelievable run in a very short amount of time across many, many different sports. I'm talking, of course, about Samcom Models. Sean, the man behind the accounts and the brilliant website, samcommodels.com. My man, how are you and how is everything in your world? I picture you just sitting there in a, a lab of computers, just running numbers, waiting for something to pop. Is am I even close? Um, I'm just kind of sitting at my desk, but that was quite the kind introduction. 
what what kind of you know led you towards the uh, analytical and model based handicapping? Because again, it's not as if you're just model based in a sport like baseball, where I think that the analytics have become kind of less nerdy and more kind of cool almost. You know, where you see mm-hmm. people sabermetrics has always been the the hot button issue. If I hear one more person talk about Robbie Ray, I'm going to hurt myself. Um, <laughs> but you know, what kind of led you to to go towards the route of the more you know math side of things than the let's say gut handicapper or whatever the case may be, be it you know power rankings or whatever yeah so i guess you know i've always just been a sports fan and um i guess even growing up like i used to collect baseball football and basketball cards and they'd always have the stats on the back and i'd get a notebook and write down stats for various players i liked and kind of compare them and look at their year over year um numbers and how they compare so i guess i mean it really all started there um but then i guess as i got older i can i can remember that the first thing that really caught my eye on the analytical side and like really piqued my interest was when Daryl Morey kind of um, started implementing what's known today as Morey ball. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was absolutely fascinating that he had this, you know, this mix of a fundamental understanding of the game and like what's, what's worth what, and then mixing in the analytics to kind of prove that and then put it in action on the court. Um, That really, really caught my eye. Um, a lot of my close friends like kind of give me crap here and there um, for how much I love Maury uh, and all of his all of the work he's done in the past uh, handful of seasons now. Um, so that really piqued my interest. And then, of course, um, last summer Barry Horse uh, kind of lit the betting world on fire with his baseball model, and that kind of um, in part inspired me to just kind of jump right in and have my own uh, try at the whole predictive sports modeling. Right. And again, Kieran, who we've had on, on this show and, uh, goes by Barry horse online. What, you know, I think people kind of feel like maybe, um, you guys came up together, kind of connected and it's cool to hear, you know, that basically you just effectively reached out and saw that you guys were basically handicapping games the same way. And then ended up doing some stuff together that way. It's so funny that you brought up more ball. Like everybody has something or everybody has someone like Joe Pita trading bases. Like that to me was, was kind of the Bible, even though I got started more, uh, in the DFL's realm of player projections and kind of putting that forward towards how I kind of handicap baseball day in, day out, but so many different ways that, you know, people can kind of attack major league baseball from an analytics standpoint. So it's, it's so funny to hear, you know, just different ways that, that people try to get it done in the sport. And again, the success that you've had is, has been unmatched. And so, um, I don't want you obviously to give away kind of what you do, but I just want to talk about, I always find it fascinating what certain people, you know, put into their model as far as just the philosophy of kind of what it may, you know, what it, um, looks at again, you don't have to go into specific stats or stuff like that, but what is kind of the broad view on the surface of, um, kind of how you broke down and built that model. Sure. So my general approach has been kind of Um, I try to find what I call anchor metrics, which, um, are supposed to be all encompassing metrics that kind of quantify a team's overall strength, um, relative to league average. And then once I have, um, that set of anchor metrics, usually it's one or two or two, two to three, I guess baseball is more, a little more complex. Um, I think I have four or five of those. Um, and then I take those anchor metrics and then I try to find underlying data that kind of, um, makes up those metrics. And then I try to find how, how, um, performance in each of those metrics kind of correlates with the overarching anchor metric. 
and then finding these different correlations, I can come up with, um, you know, using linear regression, I can find correlation coefficients and kind of build my own best fit formulas to help uh, let me, I guess, evaluate each team um, relative to league average. And then once I have those numbers, you know, projecting games from there is pretty easy. That's on an individual game by game basis. Does it differ for you for, um, let's say, season long, you know, futures, whether it be win totals, player props or, you know, MVP, Cy Young, whatever the case may be. Is it anything that's super different when you're, you know, breaking down one player instead or one team instead of, you know, over the course of a long haul or one player instead of just, um, you know, a team progressing over 162 throughout the year? Yeah, so actually, like that whole process um, kind of the end point is a, um, I call it team strength wins, which are just how many wins over the course of the season they should have. Um, if they played a league average team, every game, um, in baseball in particular, I actually took it an additional step further and I kind of, um, laid out the structure of each team schedule and then came up with a separate, um, a separate number, which I've just been referring to as schedule wins. Um, but as for player by player stuff, um, the MLB is where that stuff gets really fascinating. Um, you can get super deep and analytical with each player because you have um, historical player comparisons in terms of you know who who are they most like in terms of their development trajectory, um, where what they've already achieved, what they should achieve. Um, you know, Pakoda is really cool with that stuff. Um, Fangraphs, steamer projections, stuff like that. Um, so that stuff, um, I kind of have a similar approach where, um, baseball is certainly more than the NFL and my work with college basketball. It's definitely a sum of the individual parts and how those parts kind of add up on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it makes so much sense, man. And again, I know you shared the the passion of living for baseball, just like I do. It's, it's again, so many different ways that you can break into this, you know, kind of pull back baseball. And I'm more narrative driven. I'm more kind of long term um, rather than spotting value in individual situations. Um, so it's going to be a cool conversation to go back and forth with you when it comes to futures. Um Let's just break right into it because this is probably going to be a little bit of a longer episode. There's so much to to kind of get into here. Um, I guess we'll talk. Let, let's just break it down as a um, you know broad topic for a couple of minutes about last year. Um, I mean, Red Sox, what they were doing. I think it was what 16 more games um, than they won the year before, which was the same with Alex Cora. Um, Houston going down. You know, the Dodgers providing such a nice buy low opportunity for even their own division all year long. Um, what was kind of your takeaway from a broad topic perspective? I know there's we could do a whole show on on just the 2018. Recap, but um, anyone that any, or any team that kind of sticks out to you as something that was you know so far and above either defying expectations in a good way or a bad way or, or any players in this type of situation from a, a broad perspective when it comes to the 2018 season that was. Um, yeah, a couple of things have kind of stuck with me, and I, I still think about it almost every other day. Um, being a Cubs fan, um, watching them play in the NL Central divisional tiebreaker, and then uh, losing the wild card game to the Rockies. Um, even like the weeks heading into that game or even months, honestly, I, I honestly didn't believe they were a team, um, that either belonged or was capable of playing at that level. So I guess, um, that's kind of fed into, and I get, I will get to it later, but I put out an article about how the Cubs team total win, uh, team win total under, um, is a good play in the model. And a lot of that is driven by the fact that I think they did at least record wise, or at least you know, playing in the playoffs, reaching that level wise, um, 
they overperformed. But then at the same time, when I do look at my model, um, similarly, I thought the Rockies definitely didn't belong in that playoff field. Um, I believe when I was looking at 2018 season end data, it had them maybe slightly above average. If that when um, all the other teams were, you know, they firmly belonged where, where um, they ended up in, you know, the postseason. Yeah. Again, so many good things to take away. Let's break this down. We'll start in the AL East just because it's everyone's favorite division. I think Yankees favored minus 140. And I, I feel like a lot of people are on this train that Red Sox are going to regress at Boston at plus 160, Tampa at eight to one, Toronto 30 to one and Baltimore at 300. And I, I guess I'm, I'm so happy that we're going to start with this division, start with Baltimore, because I know in speaking with, you know, you and Kieran, there's their modelers for whatever reason could not quit the Baltimore Orioles and they just could not have their model quantify how bad this team was. Uh, so it's it's really interesting to, to to talk about this one from the jump. And I was going to go over every team's season win total. We're not going to break down every single win total um, on this show again. We'd, we'd be here forever, but we're just anything that really sticks out to us that we're going to talk about here. Um, Yankees at 96 and a half wins, Toronto at 74, Orioles at a laughable 59, and the Red Sox at 94. Um, I guess I'll just start here. My, my takeaway from this division is it's pretty simple. I think that the uh, Rays are going to regress a little bit. I think that Toronto is going to get a little bit better. And when I'm talking about a little bit, they need to win one more game to go over their season win total of last year from Toronto. Um, I mean, they have the best pedigree of prospects. When I mean pedigree is they're literally siphoning off every uh, former major leagues uh, son with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, Craig Biggio's kid, and uh, Bo Bichette, Dante Bichette's son. So it's a really interesting philosophy there. And I just think that, you know, positive regression should rear its head uh, for guys like Stroman and his ground ball, Ray Aaron Sanchez, who led the league in ERA for a portion of time. Um, and, you know, the opener strategy employed by Tampa Bay to me is something that you can do uh, when you can pencil in 60 starts from, you know, a couple of guys, um, you know, whether it be Snell, Charlie Morin, who is 35. And, and of course, Tyler Glass now sliding in there as a part of the compensation for Chris Archer. But to me, it's very simple when we talk about this from a, a division perspective. It's you flip flop, take the base price of the underdog of between Boston. So Red Sox right now, plus 160. And then every time either the Yankees or the Red Sox get a of plus 110, uh, you buy that and you just kind of put your day trading hat on or, or weekly trading hat um, and buy this buy those two teams every single time in this division. Um, do you kind of see this playing out similar? Yeah, I mean, like you said, this is basically um, a two-team race. Uh, my model has um, it basically close to the market prices where the Yankees should win the, win the division. Um, the Rays have an outside chance of winning the division, nothing, you know, bettable in terms of value. Um, but they should be able to make a decent enough, um, push to contend for that final wild card spot. Um, but yeah, like you said, it, it's a, it's a two team race and anytime you can find value throughout the season to take either of those two teams, um, it's more than a, a good idea to, to do so. Completely agree. Let's go through the win totals. Is there anyone other than the ones that I mentioned um, that makes sense, whether it be the Yankees highest, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox at the highest, Baltimore at the lowest. This division to me is so kind of infuriating because if you look at this, you know, philosophically, you're supposed to kind of always short the highest one. So go under the highest, you know, win totals on the board and go over the lowest. Uh, but you're going to lose money in this division more times than not if you employ that strategy. So win totals here kind of in this uh, particular division make me a little bit angry just because it goes against 
everything that I want to do long term. Um, so I don't have anything here that's that's you know super strong and, and can say with conviction that I feel a, a certain way about this. Um, again, I went. Um, I get wrote these up specifically um, on SGP.com. That'll probably be out by the time people hear this. I went um, basically over on every single one except for Toronto, um, and I believe I went under on Tampa. But is there anything that really stuck out to you here? No, for the most part, throughout this entire division. Um, so I, I spoke how I had uh, like a team strength wins number, and then I had a schedule wins number. Um, it was essentially all of the the Vegas totals uh, were right between those two numbers for each team, which to me just screams, um, you know, kind of stay away and nothing of value. All right. I like it, man. We can move on. It's a two team race and, and take the dog every single time they flip flop is kind of where we stand on that. We'll move over to the AL central, which is probably the least uh, competitive division um, in the sport. And it's gonna, it's Cleveland and it's everybody else here. Now I've seen a lot of people that have been down on Cleveland. It's an extremely top heavy lineup, much like the Red Sox. The only problem is there's obviously not a lot, um, at least this year in the way of competition. Um, I believe they've won the division by 13, seven and seven the last couple of years. Um, they're going to add another, uh, a fourth, um, division crown here at Minnesota, probably the second best in the division. Don't think they're going to get there yet. And I'll go through the odds here. Cleveland minus 400, Minnesota plus 300, Chicago, 25 to one KC at, uh, 60 to one and Detroit as well at 60 to one, um, season win totals, Cleveland Indians, 91, uh, Minnesota twins, 84, Chicago, White Sox, 74, Kansas city Royals, 69 and a half Detroit at 68 and a half. Um, when I look at this division, Minnesota quietly, um, made their, you know, by way of having Joe Maurer's contract by retirement off the books, really quietly, uh, added a lot of power. Um, they don't have a lot of guys that are, you know, necessarily get on base guys. There are a lot of, uh, you know, solo home run guys. When you talk about Nelson Cruz, Sano, Rosario, CJ Crone, I mean, when you have a lineup where Jonathan scoop is hitting seventh, um, you know, not to mention Marwin Gonzalez, who can, you know, be in there at any time on any given position playing the Zobra super utility role. Uh, they have a chance, I think, um, to, you know, be definitely better. It was a lot of what I would say, cheap power that they brought in, um, specifically and, and on the rotation side, Barrios, people know, I think is um, an absolute ace in this league. Beyond that, though, it's a wild card of Pineda. Now, if things break right, Barrios and Pineda could be a very, very good one-two punch. Um, and that's kind of what it is with the Twins. They're on a one, a lot of cheap power, one to two year rental type players to become kind of, you know, quote unquote, relevant again while they bring the guys up. And people are always going to talk about the Byron Buxton breakout that is destined <laughs> to happen, I'm sure. Um and then after that, I mean, um, we're going to break down kind of individual player stuff um, after we go through the division. So I don't want to go too deep into player by player here. But White Sox have a lot of great talent coming up through their system. They just got hurt by the injury bug. I mean, there was a time when they had, what, Moncada, uh, they had Kopik, uh, they had Giolito, who is, I mean, these guys were, you know, A1 prospects that they just couldn't get through their system. Um, does anything stand out to you in this division? Anything, a value play of, you know, the odds or, or anything like that? Or is it just maybe you flat back clear? even take a 25% ROI and, and say, see you later. Uh, yeah. Like you said, I mean, it's, it's Cleveland's division to disastrously lose. Um, I, my model does show in terms of schedule wins, the twins being, uh, let's see here, right on the dot with their Vegas total at 83 and a half. Um, which is funny because I think, uh, you were part of that conversation in our, in our little group chat. I, at first I was pretty low on the twins, um, and that was kind of before I ran my whole scheduling, um, schedule wins formulations. Um, I, I do see them potentially competing for that last wild card spot. Maybe, you know, they're a deadline uh, buyer and yep. they can make that small little push. 
Um, but outside of that in this division, um, the only thing of note really is I think the Royals have good potential to potentially, um, compete for the worst team in the league this year and maybe move the Orioles out. Um, their rotation is just absolutely brutal. Uh, the, the model has their starting rotation, giving up the most, uh, runs allowed in the league. And I mean, just one one look at that rotation and you can easily see how that could be possible not to mention the Um, fact that salvador perez is going to be back there being able to help these guys and that was the biggest loss in it by a team uh i think on this season um for for what he did for them outside of the box score you know oh undoubtedly and yeah um i know you said we'd mention uh player specific stuff later but um one thing i did see when looking over props was um you know, the Royals now have Billy Hamilton and I thought his stolen base prop was, I, I forget what it is offhand. It might've been 48 and a half. Um, I thought that was a little high, uh, his, his on base percentage. I, I just don't see him getting on base that much. I, I don't see this team really having, um, much run production success, which stolen bases are kind of a part of, I'm sure he can get on base and just run for his life every single time. But that number still seems pretty high to me. Yeah, they, they are going to have the fastest outfield or at least two thirds of an outfield in shortstop um, in baseball. So they they're they're going to lead the league, I think, in steals. Um, when you talk about Whit Merrifield, who led the league for a time and hits in steals, Mondesi um, and Billy Hamilton. So it's going to be very it's going to be a very interesting dynamic to see if they can actually get on base or, or what they're going to kind of do with it. Danny Duffy is a guy I feel like is always on the fringe of breaking out. But again, Perez is it's, it's the equivalent of losing a, a Yadier Molina type of player there. So there's so many more questions. And I think the Perez, you know, hit is just such a, a crushing blow to this team. They do have some guys coming up, um, you know, Brian Dozier's brother, Hunter Dozier is, is in there. So, um, they're, they're a little bit ways away. Um, I think they thought that they could contend for another year. Um, and it kind of cost them a, a rebuild type of, of situation here. Um, I do want to talk about Detroit really fast because I think that a guy like Michael Fulmer, Fulmer is someone that I routinely used to back in the first five market. The issue became with him is his third time through the rotation or through the batting order. His, uh, batting average against was like 350. Um, and Nicholas Castellanos famously at the, the age 27, um, breakout year really kind of took off here. And so is there, you know, if Cabrera is just because their win total is basically, I believe, um, the same as what they did last year. So, you know, in theory, if they get a healthy Cabrera, who was the model of consistency, um, do they become a better, you know, a, a game or two better, um, than last year? Do you think? Uh, yeah, I think on top of what you mentioned, obviously playing in a weak division like this and then having 20%, um, of your schedule, made up of the AL West where, you know, the rest of most of those teams and starting rotations are pretty poor outside of the Astros. Um, that this team has the ability to maybe pile on a couple wins that you'd otherwise not expect them to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I see in my model right here that although their team strength win number is 65 and a half, um, their schedule wins are approaching 74. So that shows, um, a good amount of value compared to the Vegas total of 68, um, but for me personally, not necessarily the most, um, bettable amount of value, but it's definitely there. And I definitely do think they could pile on a couple extra ones. I like it. Let's head on over to the AL West where it's again, it's the Astros and it's everyone else. Astros at minus 800 athletics, eight to one angels, 10 to one Rangers, 80 to one and Mariners, uh, 60 to one. Um, we'll go through the season win totals here. I believe Houston is the highest in the league. 96 and a half. Oakland is at 83 and a half, uh, angels. 81 to 
one and a half. The Rangers, 71 and a half. And Seattle opened up uh, a little bit higher, but seeing about 72 and a half, 71 and a half around in the marketplace. Um, is this the same thing? And, and I feel like we were, we're going to talk about the Astros here uh, for a little bit because it's just has such, such a special place in my heart since the World Series and Altuve MVP years is one of my biggest wins combined in my gambling career. I mean, is this, look, I am, again, we're going to do kind of player specific awards um, after we break through the final three in the, in the National League here. But this Astros team, I would be very shocked if they didn't come away with either, um, you know, an MVP or a side. This, someone on this team is taking home some type of uh, good, nice hardware, I believe. I just, the talent level is is too much and um, everything around there, um, specifically Garrett Cole is in a very nice situation in a walk year. Um, is there any reason to believe Astros don't just run through this division, um, given that the Rangers and Mariners are, are basically openly tanking? The Angels do have Trout and Oakland is kind of always what Oakland does, playing the money ball and, and trying to get a leg up. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the Astros division. Um, even I think it's even an even wider gap than perhaps the Indians and Twins in the Central. Um, as for like like you mentioned, they have so many players that could walk away with you know various awards. Um, I guess my issue in the MVP market, particularly, is you know they they just have so many great players. It's hard, I think, for one player to truly separate himself from the others. I mean, we, we saw the issue last year with the Red Sox where, um, for the longest time, the whole Mookie or JD kind of debate, um, waged on for a long time. But if you kind of extend that out to three or maybe even four potential MVP candidates that can get really messy and you kind of siphon off votes from each other. And it makes it really hard to get the votes you need to win the actual MVP. Um, but on the other side of the ball, I think, uh, and maybe I'm jumping way too far ahead um, with our awards discussion later, no, but I think Gary Cole, I think Gary Cole is an incredible value. Um, I've seen him anywhere from plus 1800 to plus 2000 to win the, the AL Cy Young. And I think, um, I, I think there is definitely bettable value there. I personally didn't bet it, but I, I mean, it was, <laughs> it, it was as close as it got to being bettable without me actually betting it. Yeah, he's just in such a nice situation, not having to face an opposing team's ace, as that's reserved for for Verlander. Um, and there's not as many mouths to feed, certainly, when you talk about the rotation instead of the um, lineup. Again, Verlander and him may split some votes, but when you talk about this lineup, I mean, any number of players there could take home some hardware. So certainly understand what you're saying there. Um, AL as a whole, let's do this. Um, let's say, what's your who's your pick to take down the AL um, and represent it? Um, so as of right now, I have the Yankees over the Astros. Ooh, ooh I'm going to go with Houston. Really like them again. A, a pissed off Astros team is, is a good team. And I actually, as I was going through all this, I wrote this up. Um, Houston to me seems like they're, you know, I was, I was reading stuff said by Bregman about how he wants to liken this team to the Miami heat dynasty. And he wants to keep this team together and everything like that. And to me, I think this window on this Houston team is actually closing a little bit quicker than people, um, realize when it comes to players that need to get paid. Garrett Cole's making $500,000 this year. The Yankees are likely to throw 20 plus million at him. You know, after that Verlander certainly getting up there. Um, you know, Altuve is going to need to get paid Correa. You can go all around the diamond of people, you know, Springer, 
guys that like Springer's got extended, I think for a team friendly deal, but, um, they just, they're getting a little bit, um, you know, I don't think this team might look exactly how you think in a couple of years, or at least, you know, be as familiar as that. That being said, Forrest Whitley is a, you know, top five pitching prospect, James in the bullpen as well. So they do have some guys coming up. Um, but I just, you can't pay everyone as they shown. And that's why they were able to have this success, bring in the guys that they were able to on the back end. Do you think this window is closing a little bit quicker than people realize when we're talking, you know, three, four, five years? Yeah, I'm definitely right there with you. Like you said, whenever you have, you know, I mean, this is how you build championships in sports now. I mean, we saw the Warriors do it in the NBA. You kind of have this really young core and you really try to maximize their impact while they're on rookie deals or cheap deals. Um, but then obviously the downside of that is, you know, when it, when it's time to pay people, things can crumble really, really quickly. And I think, you know, we'll see that with the Astros here soon. Um, and then I guess just to circle it back to the example I brought up, I mean, you'll see the same thing with the Warriors, uh, probably this upcoming off season, if not the next. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think they're just about ready to be on that downturn and it'll be interesting to see, especially with Cole. I think, I mean, you already saw, I mean, not that Keiko was, you know, incredible and i mean he's still a free agent for a reason on some level um but yeah i don't know it'll, it'll be interesting it's, it's certainly close in my model it's uh within 0.7 schedule wins within 0.7 um team strength wins as well um so yeah it's razor thin See, to me, that that actually would point me towards, again, not that I'm betting this one in particular, but going towards the over only because I think that they realize um, that their window is closing, being their front office. And I know that they lost a lot of their, you know, much respected and vaulted um, video staff that really was able to, you know, do some things and get guys on base and, and you know, really rebuild that lineup when they did. Um, so their coaching staff is already a little bit different, which will happen when you have success. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the uh, Warriors. This is the same type of situations you see with New England uh, coaches is going the other way. So that definitely, um, it, it played into it, but I think that, you know, they realized that their window is closing. Why not go all in for one or two weeks, uh, one or two years? Um, you know, certainly going to be a team that looks to add at the deadline. So, um, we'll see what happens there, but um, yeah, we're, we're kind of locked up there. Let's go over to the NL East. Cause I think this is a fascinating, fascinating division here. Nationals are at plus 225, And I think that's going to, um, surprise some people only being essentially a quarter more than the prohibitive favorite the Phillies at plus 200 the Braves are at 350 and the Mets are at plus 300 and then you have the Marlins all the way at 300 to one I'm going to break down the win totals here Nationals are at 89 and a half the Braves are at 86 and a half the Phillies are at 88 and a half 89 and a half now with Harper at some of the square shops in town uh the Mets 86 and a half and Miami is pulling up the seller at 63 and a half um I know that we've been talking kind of back and forth about this division and I know so many professional and so many sharp people that are very high on what the Mets did um, into their lineup. You know, everyone from Cano to Jed Lowry. It has a little bit of a feel of what Houston did um, during that year that where they won it, where it was, you know, advanced metrics, guys that got on base, a power hitter every, you know, three to four people, you know, high RBI guys. And the rotation, of course, is incredible. You look at what DeGrom did last year. It was absolutely insane. That's not even to mention um, Noah Syndergaard, who is a perennial Cy Young contender. And people won't, won't really remember this Zach Wheeler had a better second half ERA than Jacob deGrom um in that you know as a you know former number one prospect it is scary to think what could happen but that is the um 
you know, this is the same story with this team every single year. Um, be it maybe they were more of a dead nuts under team last year. Maybe their offense, you know, kind of breaks them through that with that, you know, top three that for my money is just as good as Cleveland. It's just as good as um, Washington. It's just as good as anyone uh, in the league that I would, I would stack that those three up with, especially if Wheeler again, 1.68 ERA in the second half compared to, to Grom's, I think 1.72. Um, but people want to talk about Phillies. They want to talk about Bryce Harper. Um, that's why this price is where it is. I would take the Mets rotation over the Phillies. I would take the Nationals rotation um, over the Phillies. I think the Arietta is kind of primed for a uh, regression. I think that Nola is on the tip of every sabermetric handicapper's tongue for regression. Um, to me, he's an absolute stud, and I will back him until he proves not profitable. Um, but beyond that, I mean, is this, again, I know we're going to talk about potential um, MVP stuff after this, but you know, Soto to Acuna are going to be perennial MVP caliber type players going back and forth in a way that we haven't seen two players linked eventually, maybe like Sosa and Maguire, which could really be a, a very crazy type of situation. And this could be the best division in baseball for a very long time. What are your takeaways? Um, so when I first built the, when I built the first iteration of my MLB model um, a couple months ago, it was absolutely in love with the Mets. Um, and then obviously seeing, you know, their agent turn GM um, kind of make these really impressive moves acro across the board. I, I was almost entirely sold on the Mets. Um, and then as I kind of kept uh, working on the model, um, it kind of got less and less impressed with uh, what the Mets had out in the field, at least compared to the rest of the division. Um and as it stands currently, it actually does have the Nationals um, taking this division. This is, as you mentioned, um, a very, very closely or it should be a closely contested division. Um, all and I guess as a, a testament to that, each of the you know four contenders for this division title, um, when I look at their team strength win number and the schedule win number, each of them is kind of punished by their schedule and playing each other and also, you know, playing the NL central, which is another tough division we'll get to. Um, they, they all lose anywhere between three to five and a half wins because of their schedule. Um, so, I mean, th this'll be a super interesting division to watch. Um, you know, even though I say the nationals in, the, in my model are favored to win this division, um, as I look here now, they're only projected 1.9 more wins than the Mets who are, um, fourth among the four, uh, like you said, I, if the Mets do make the playoffs, I would be very, very um, scared to play them. Like you said, if, if you're going up against DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Wheeler, um, basically nine out of ten games you play against them will likely be against those three. Um, that's That's pretty brutal to be on the other side of that. Completely, completely agree. I want to talk about the Nationals because I have really fallen in love with this team. And it was a team that I didn't think I was going to uh, really fall in love with as I went through this handicapping. I don't think people realize how much better they maybe are without Bryce Harper. Um, from it, maybe outside of an X's and O's, I, I know what Harper brings. Um, I, I completely understand that. But when you talk about this team, first of all, uh, Rendo, Anthony Rendon may get the biggest contract next next year outside of Paul Goldschmidt if he doesn't extend. Um, do you have... I believe they have three MVP contenders in my mind with Trey Turner, Rendon, 
in Juan Soto. They have the rookie of the year favorite in Victor Robles. And not to mention, I was really, Patrick Corbin was my favorite pitcher, one of my favorite pitchers to get behind last year. Um, I was all about fading him. This was a career, this was a money motivated year last year for a guy like Corbin that I could not wait to go to a bad team, be an overpaid ace um, and falter to the low, you know, four and a half ERA type of guy that, that he really, you know, I think money motivations aside tends to be when you look at this. But the issue is now you don't even slide him into an ace. You don't even slide him into a number two. You're asking him to be a number three starter behind Scherzer and Strasburg. And I'm, you know, the regression that I know is coming from Corbin is more than okay. Do people realize how much better the nationals maybe got, um, by losing Harper? No, I think it's, it's flying incredibly under the radar. I know the other day you had shared with me the division odds and, um, and just to make the playoff odds. And when you sent them to me, my first reaction was that's a typo. Um, and yeah, like you said, like, I, I, I don't think people really appreciate what they've been able to do despite losing Harper. Um, I'm personally not the biggest, um, optimist in terms of, what Harper will be able to do, um, in the, in the short term and long term on the Phillies. Um, I think, you know, like you said, you're, you're very narrative based. I think this team might come out, um, wanting to prove that they can do it without Harper. Yes. Um, sometimes, you know, that big, you know, megastar on your team, when he leaves, it kind of takes this whole weight off the entire team's shoulder. Um, and then on top of that, separately, uh, you have Steven Strasburg who battled with an injury uh, last year, never really recovered properly, at least not when he first returned. But I think people forget how good he can be when, um, when he can reach, you know, the levels that he should, um, in my model, I think I can actually pull it up here. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it has him just about breaking into the top 20 in terms of, um, pitcher value. So that's number two starter can, in baseball when he's healthy in my opinion, in my mind. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, I, I'd probably have to go with Trevor Bauer. I am a little bit biased, and I might have built that bias a little bit into his uh, <laughs> model projection. Big fan of him. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those. It's got to be one of those two. Yep. Um, I want to talk about the Braves really quickly just because of, you know, this was one that I was really passionate about that they were going to arrive a year early as tens, as teams tend to do here. Um, Acuna and it's in Soto. Let, let's talk again. We're not going to break down specific MVP stuff, but how long before uh, either Acuna or Soto wins the National League MVP in your mind? Oh, man, I think me personally, I think uh, Soto is uh, more likely to do it sooner. Um, my my hesitance with the Braves is like you said, they, they might've not peaked, but you know, they kind of reached that level pretty early. And as we see, when you see these like young teams make the playoffs, um, a little sooner than anticipated, they kind of fall flat in the playoffs. They of yeah. course kind of had an uninspiring performance in the NLDS last year. Um, and it almost in a way reminded me of that 2015 Blue Jays team. And I really, really hope, you know, the air doesn't get sucked out of this team like it did with that Blue Jays team. Obviously there's manager or front office things with that team that kind of brought, brought that quicker than it needed to. But, you know, like th this team has a lot of interesting players. You obviously have Freddie Freeman, you know, Acuna, their pitching staff is more than respectable. Um, I just don't think they have uh, what it takes to really, um, put together a division winning, convincing performance this year. Um, maybe they take this year, figure themselves out, you know, let everyone else 
kind of punch each other until everyone bleeds. And then next year when they have all this experience under their belt and then they have that previous playoff experience, I think they'll have a better chance. Um, but this year it seems, it kind of seems, you know, like the Phillies and nationals really, really are pushing the most chips in. And then of course, uh, like I said, the Mets are razor thin right behind them. I like it. We don't even need to talk about Miami. The the 76ers version or the MLB's version of the, the 76ers are, are trusting the process. So let's move over to the Central where I know you feel very uh, particular about this. Cubs and Cardinals co-favorites for the division at plus 200. The Brewers at plus 225. Cincinnati Reds, another team with a lot of uh, nice young talent coming up and, and everyone's going to want to talk about Sonny Gray at 10 to 1 and the Pirates at 8 to 1. Season win total, Chicago Cubs 89 and a half. The Cardinals are at 88 eight and a half. The Brewers are at 86 and a half. Reds come in at 79 and a half and the Pirates 77 and a half. Um, I'm going to give you the floor because I, again, I, I know you feel really strongly, particularly about the Cubs and going under that. Um, would that lead you to, you know, a Cardinals or Brewers potential future for the division at, you know, plus 200 plus 225, or are you looking somewhere completely off the map? Um, I guess gun to my head, I would definitely suggest taking the Cardinals division odds. Um, I, I don't think there's enough value there to, you know, convincingly say yes, like you definitely should take the Cardinals, um, in all cases. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm pretty low on the Cubs compared to the market and what seems like other than baseball pr- perspectives, um, a code of standings, which have absolutely angered every single Cubs fan. I know <laughs> Right, um, dead last in division, right? I think they predicted. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily have them being that bad, um, but it, it definitely seems like they're more, I, they're the, the perception of how good they are is built more on name familiarity. It seems like, yeah. um, I mean, it, you don't have to be crazy to say, you know, Lester's on the, on the way down. Um, Quintana obviously is nowhere near as good of a pitcher as he is, but I do think, I do think he still has room to be good. Just, you know, I don't think he'll ever reach the peaks that he achieved before. Uh, I think Darvish can surprise some people coming off this injury. Um, you know, my model kind of projects, um, highs and lows and, you know, the, the average, and he, he has the ability to be, um, I don't want to say like an elite talent in the MLB, but you know, it, I think people might really be letting him fly under the radar. Um, but other than that, I mean, you have Hendricks who's always solid. He's still pretty young, um, still putting it together, but you know, all, all the underlying metrics say he should regress, um, bias in the write up I had about taking the Cubs under, um, he, he's a, a pretty big regression target or candidate, I should say. Um, and then, you know, like I, I love Madden to death for bringing the Cubs a world series, but I mean, he is kind of a madman when it comes to tinkering with the lineup. And I do think it kind of messes with, um, players rhythms or like just their, just the understanding of their role in the lineup. Um, but I, I will say, you know, their, their hit coach last year was Chili Davis. And I thought he was God awful in terms of what, um, or in terms of the philosophies he brought to the team. Um, so I think, you know, anyone replacing him, as long as they're not absolutely awful, I, I think, you know, that'll be a place they improve. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a team built on name familiarity. I think St. Louis um, ha- has all the ability to compete for that number one seed in the NL. Um, I know we'll get to the West here in a second. Um, it is 
the Dodgers um, seed, I guess, to lose, but the Cardinals definitely have it um, materially to compete for that spot, especially with some of the guys. I know you and me, we've discussed, there's some guys on that team we're absolutely enamored with, Um, you know, (laughs) Uh, they have Flaherty and they have Alex Reyes. That's your boy. I know. Um, yep. Ozuna is incredible. Um, yeah, they, they just have a buttload of talent. Not to mention who I think is probably one of the front runners for MVP this year and Paul, and Paul Goldschmidt finally looking to, you know, narrative again is, is such a huge factor to me when I, when I pick these things and eventually the do factor comes in and, and you have to start looking at this is how, you know, are they going to be known as the best player to never win an MVP or a Cy Young and, and Goldschmidt is, has all the pedigree to look to go get paid and look to, you know, break the bank one last time, although he is a little bit older. So it's a little bit, and he is, you know, leaving the confines of the launching pad and all that type of stuff. Um, there's not a lot of love out there for a Brewers repeat at plus 225 and I want to talk about that because it's Yelich was a guy I was so big on last year um I, I believe I placed a prop that was like will he or won't he be a 2020 guy and, and it was over before you know basically a month after the all-star break and I can't believe I didn't bring myself to, to play his MVP at his odds It'll forever haunt me uh, just like you know the one year that Paul George who I feel equally obsessed with will uh win the MVP undoubtedly when I do not bet it um is there you know is was the Brewers a flash in the pan. I wanted to kind of short Yelich this year, much like Corbin, and but I think oddsmakers hung a very good number specifically for his home runs. It's like um, I think they hung like 28 and a half uh, coming down from his 36 or I just I wanted to go under 30 for him, but I think they hung a little bit, a, a very good number. Um, the pitching is always going to be the issue with this team and, you know, uh, granted they do have Hater, but the starting rotation is always going to have issues. They just don't have enough money to kind of go around. Um, is there any type of love for the Brewers, Reds or Pirates, whether it be from a player perspective um or a a season long type of thing the reds are what i would say is a couple years away they do have some you know they did bring in half of the dodgers lineup which i think is a very interesting philosophy um to basically you know bring in so many from you know one team it's happened before with the dodgers and the red sox trades but um other than that pirates are are the pitching factory um i know you know tyone's a guy i feel very good about this year but is there anything from those teams that you would think would make some noise like the brewers did last year um, I guess starting with the Brewers in particular, I, I like you said, their starting pitcher, pitching is going to be uh, quite the issue. Um, they didn't even retain uh, Wade Miley. Um, and I'll, although I, I will say I like Jimmy Nelson coming back from injury. Obviously, anytime you come back from that type of injury, there's a sort of like that that building up phase of your confidence and your mechanics. But I think once he puts it together, he should put together um, a a good string of performances. Um, but, uh, like the NL East, uh, the NL central, you know, you have arguably four teams that, um, are respectable. Um, other than the NL East, this team also kind of suffers from their schedule. Um, outside of the pirates, each team loses uh, anywhere between 2.8 to 5.7 wins due to their schedule compared to their strength number in my model. Um, I don't think, I mean, although as I'm looking at it here, Milwaukee's technically listed as the second best team in the central, I think some of the underlying numbers um, supporting that in my model are kind of exaggerated in their favor, but maybe, you know what, maybe this is my Cubs bias as a Cubs fan living in in Wisconsin, um, you know, just being endlessly annoyed with Brewer fans. Maybe, maybe that's just what's coming (laughs) through. Um, but yeah, moving to the Reds, I, I think I I know there's some hype out there for this Reds team, but I still think I might be a little higher on them than the vast majority of people. Um, 
they're one of few teams who their you know team strength number and schedule win number are both above their team total number um it was it was close to being uh, um a team win total that i would have or it was close to being one that i locked in for my um futures plays uh like you said they, they have a lot of good young talent i think next year is a better um time for to take them as a actual threat to win the division. But, um, you know, uh, Sonny Gray recently did an interview about the Yankees pitching coaches kind of, um, really messing with his pitch selection. And he thinks that really threw him off. And I mean, every year we kind of hear how, you know, Sonny, this is Sonny Gray year, Sonny Gray's year. Um, and maybe this year is the year that I might be buying into that. Um, but outside of that, outside of that, they have Lewis Castillo, um, they have, uh, I always struggle to pronounce his name, Desclafani. Anthony Desclafani. Uh, he was one of my first, my, my favorite first five under guys for a very, very long time. And somebody I've been enamored with. And he's along the lines of Danny Duffy that he can't really, you know, injuries or whatever he's having, you know, he's always had something come up where he can't put it together. Um, but yeah, I think Desclafani on the back end is, is someone I've, I've always, you know, had a little special place in my heart for. Yeah, I think overall, like the rotation, I, I don't think anyone dipped below convincingly below average. So, I mean, anytime when you can say your four and five guys are at least average, that kind of bodes well for you. Um, but then outside of that, uh, I, I I do really like Nick Senzel. Um, I think he'll put together a pretty, pretty nice season. Um, I think next year will be his convincing like breakout year. Um but as for this year, I, I think he'll get some some meaningful time, um, put together some good numbers. I like it. Let's move over to the NL West. And again, this is, in my opinion, very similar to the Cleveland division. It's the Dodgers and everyone else. Dodgers minus 450, Rockies plus 450, Padres at 15 to 1, Diamondbacks 25 to 1, and the Giants at uh, 50 to 1. As I go through their season win totals, we have the Dodgers leading the way at 93 and a half. The Rockies are at... 84 and a half the Padres come in at 70 uh 76 and a half. no I think that's probably uh past Machado I'll pull that one back up Arizona is at 73 and a half and the Giants are at 73 and a half as well um look I, I'm not I was big on the Dodgers I could not stop buying them low to win the division to win the National League um last year when they were having such a struggle because this is a team that just uh doesn't really care about the division and this was a year that they had the most competition for the division which or last year which didn't really obviously bode well for them um they cleared out a lot of players that were very productive for them quietly. Kemp had a resurgence there. Puig, you can say what you want about him defensively, um, but he was good with the bat in his hands. Um, Alex Wood was somebody who I felt very strongly about as a quality, quality, you know, number three to number four pitcher. Um, and all of a sudden, they have a surplus, uh, you know, with Walker Buehler coming in, but Kershaw being out. So that, you know, could leave former top prospect Julio Urias, who is seemingly been in this league forever uh but he is yet you know still basically one year removed from rookie status due to his injuries so this team has a a surplus of you know farm talent which is very weird for you know a team that spends as, as well as they do um and more specifically on the pitching side for sure um but is there anyone in this division whether it be the rockies again the padres i'm not even going to really include the diamondbacks and the giants who i you know while i do have respect for the giants and what they were able to do for such a long time i think that once bar you know bumgarner started going i, I think the team kind of 
wilted around him. The D-backs giving away some of their best pieces, losing Pollock, losing Goldschmidt. And the Padres are, in my mind, not, they're just too young. They, I, you know, this type of team like the Padres are a, the exact team that you think kind of would arrive a year early. And I'm not even speaking, I would feel this way, you know, maybe even more if they didn't have Machado at a lower win number with all the, and this is the best farm system in baseball, bar none, and is going to have the best left side of the infield for a very long time. Um, there's really not a lot of pitching in the way of, you know, major league talent ready now. They do have a lot of nice prospects there. Um, what are your takeaways from this division? Uh, yeah, I mean, the Rockies have maybe an out ch- outside chance of stealing this division, but I mean, it, it's quite the long shot in my model. Um, as some of my followers know, I, I'm absolutely obsessed with Kyle Freeland and his otherworldly home away splits. Oh, don't get um, me started. <laughs> I, I and I was actually looking at the underlying data, and I think his numbers are actually pretty low uh, in my model. So I might have to crank those up. Um, crank them. He deserves imagine. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I dug into this because I have been on this train for the better part of what I think is two, at least two full years now, digging back through his career. For anyone that doesn't know, he's the opposite of what you would think a normal pitcher uh, would perform. Performs um, an ERA, I believe it's like under two and a half at course, and it's up over a full run on the road. Um, I really tried to dig into this and find out why and basically the the only thing that I've come across is he pitched and grew up in Colorado his whole life and just basically got used to it and learned to um, craft his game around the weather and around you know what it was doing to his stuff and he's been the first person although Marquez has had you know some nice success there as well but start to finish since he's come up in the organization the best pure stuff for um, this type of environment and so it's it's a very very unique situation for a guy to, to basically the first person that I've ever seen you know be able to do that of course. Yeah. So I guess just briefly summarizing, um, the, the article I wrote on, you know, his entire home away splits, it, it really is one of the most fascinating things I think I've ever seen maybe in any sport. Um, uh, so in terms of pitches drafted by their team, um, and the war they accumulate with that team, the Rockies are the only team uh, since 1993 to have a negative war um, accumulated by pitchers they drafted. So um, I could, in that article, I kind of talk about how that historical expectation and, um, and whatnot kind of, kind of builds that market expectation. So that kind of um, was a big driving factor of his pricing, especially on, you know, the market pricing him like any other Rockies pitcher where, you know, the total is going to be pretty sky high, uh, no pun intended. Um, and then, you know, that, that was kind of, you know, his first season, the whole historical expectation, or at least that's my interpretation of it. But then in the second season on top of, you know, like you said, he grew up in Denver being used to the, used to that, um, used to those conditions, he kind of, uh, really took a look at his game, uh, a deep look at his game and, uh, tried to really adapt it even further to use those conditions to his advantage. So he took um, his sinker, which is typically uh, a pitch that performs worse in Coors, and he took it from, I believe it was like around a 35% usage rate, and he brought that all the way down to, I think it was like 11 or 12%. Um, and, you know, with him relying that 
um, that much less on a less efficient pitch in those conditions. He was able to, you know, elevate usage of pitches uh, of pitches that um, perform better in those conditions. Which is so uh, funny he, because the Rockies basically tried to draft every single sinker ball pitcher in the in the basically for the better part of three to four years, and Freeland just yeah. effectively stopped using it and, and made everything better by himself. It, it's one of the most fascinating stories in the world. I completely agree. Yeah, it, and like just seeing him beat the market expectation his rookie year, and then I assume the market thought they had caught up by the start of his second year, but then he went through like all these evolutions. Um, he changed the hitch in his windup to kind of throw batters off from what he was used to. He was a uh, he was he gained a ton of command um, on his fastball, and instead of throwing them. Um, uh, away from right-handed batters who he kind of struggled with, with that pitch, he was punching them in and high and he saw, you know, a lot more success in 2018, uh, doing that. Um, even down to, I remember, um, reading about, you know, the placement of where his body and where his feet are on the mound. I think I might have this reversed, but one, uh, I believe in his rookie, or 2017 season, he would stand to the way left um, of the rubber. And then at some point, I think it was late in 2017, he kind of moved all the way to the other side of the rubber. And he said it brought him a level of comfort that he hadn't really had um, pitching during the first portion of that season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's he clearly cares a lot. Um, it seems like that pitching staff has been really been emphasizing generating soft contact. And although from the numbers I've seen, that's not particularly um, a skill you can transfer year over year. It's not, it's not really a predictive skill. Um, they did see a lot of success with him ranking high um, in soft contact percentage. Uh, Marquez even ranked in the top 15. John Gray was a top 10 pitcher. Um, so, I mean, it's been working for them. It'll be interesting to see um, whether Freeland and those other two regress or if they can kind of keep up this this very refi refined approach to pitching in Coors. Such a great breakdown there, man. Is there any chance that, you know, I feel like the mush is now on the Padres um, just because of Machado. I would have liked to maybe back this team without them. I think this team is going to garner a lot of public support. I do know that there was this was a favorite of underdog professionals uh, betters in this past season. Um, I think that there's a chance that they could contend for this wild card. Is there, you know, would you, are you like me that you would feel better about the Padres without Machado as, as weird as that sounds, given the increased um, win total since he signed there? Um, or are you also in agreement with me that the pitching staff is, is just not there yet and they may score a lot of runs and their defense may be great, but they are just going to give up too many, although be it in a spacious ballpark like Petco. Yeah. I mean, um, like you said, bringing a big name like Machado kind of just naturally brings better's attention to that team. Um, they think it's like a quick way to gain an edge on the market. But um, when I was monitoring their win totals before and after the signing, it was almost as if uh, the market was expecting Machado to go there. So it was for the most part baked into the number. I think when it was finally made official, it moved maybe one win. Um, the last time I updated the win totals here in, in my spreadsheet, I, I have them at 77 and a half. I don't know if that's still the number. Um, but yeah, the, I think their the starting rotation isn't, isn't good enough to bring them into that realm of competing for that last wildcard spot yet. But like you said, this is one of those teams that, um, maybe, you know, like the Reds are trending the right way. Um, they've kind of, 
gathered all these pieces, the pieces you need to, um, it, you know, it's like those, those first fundamental steps of turning the ship around after you've been really bad for quite a while. Um, they're, they're on the cusp. Obviously, um, some of these, some of these moves are the, I, my interpretation of the moves are their front office thinks they can start competing next year. Um, although, you know, Machado even said that he doesn't think that they're going to compete for the division this year. Did you see that people are up in arms about it? No, I didn't see that. That's a, that's actually, that's pretty interesting. I like, I I know people or you know, fans of the team get upset when players say that, but like, you know, I, I like when players and coaches and managers are very upfront about, you know, the team they have and the things they, want to achieve and the things they can achieve. Um, you know, being, being from Wisconsin and being a Bucks fan, you know, one, one of the funniest things that ever happened to our team was when Brandon Sh- Jennings said Bucks in six, when they were playing the heat in the first round. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it, it's, you know, we all laugh at that. It's hilarious. We know how unrealistic it, it is, but you know, when it's our own players of the teams we like, you know, we get all up in arms about it. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. Um, who's your pick for it to come out of the national league? Because I feel like there's, um, it, it sounds cliche to say, but I think the national league is a lot more wide open than the American league that has just such big heavy hitters with at least, you know, Houston, the Yankees, um, the Red Sox and the Indians, um, national league is far and away always, you know, had a couple of surprise teams in there. Um, who do you uh, think takes it down for the national league? And let's say one or two value plays to make it in there for the national, for the, uh, wild card. Sure. So my just like straightforward pick, um, although it kills me to say this as a Cubs fan, um, I I think I'm going to take the Cardinals over the Dodgers. Um, But as for some value picks, given um, what I've seen recently, or at least what you've told me um, the other day about the Nationals odds just to win their division, I can imagine their uh, pennant and World Series odds being pretty favorable. So they'd be a good value look. Um, Six to one for the NL for the Nationals. Yeah, see, that's that's actually that's that's a good amount of value. I mean, my my model has them as the second um, best team in the NL currently. So I mean, six to one for that. When you only have to get past the Dodgers, who, you know, I, I was actually um, having a debate with my friend the other day, and uh, I'd like to hear your response. Do you think, obviously, winning a World Series is much better from a fan's perspective? But do you think it's more impressive to win one World Series and potentially not make any others in the meantime? Or is it more impressive to make three straight World Series but not win at all? Oh, that's a good one, man. So what we're talking about here is the Marlins model or the uh, Royals model (laughs) instead of the Dodgers or up to a point Red Sox or Yankees for a little bit, all that type of stuff to me. Um, You know, it's hard to, I understand where the stakes are in the World Series, but it's hard to quantify a season that comes down to a seven game series. And I understand that that's the whole goal of the season. But to me, it's almost, I would say from a talent perspective, unless there is a gaping hole somewhere that is very obvious, if there's, you know, if say the Brewers were doing it and they just refuse to upgrade their starting pitching, um, that to me would not be impressive. But if they had, if, you know, the Red Sox or, or even the Dodgers were doing this week, you know, year after year without the obvious holes, they were just, you know, running into better teams along the way, um, you know, or hotter teams or the narrative driven team. Um, I, I think I would go with the, uh, the losing world series as being more impressive because you made it so far every yeah, year. Consistently. That, that's what I said. And, uh, the person I was talking to went completely the other way. And I was, I was just like, uh, it's, Who it's, would you say is the better franchise, the Dodgers or the Royals? You can't have it. You know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
it's uh, very crazy. I guess along those lines, you know, um, you know, if the Dodgers do make the World Series this year, that'll be three in a row, right? Yep. That would be that would be incredibly impressive. Um, obviously, that's really hard to do, despite the fact, you know, they obviously haven't won the first two they, or the last two they've made. Um, obviously, they're the favorite to do so, but I'll take the Cardinals here. I think when you have this mix of and like I can already see like the ESPN promos playing in my head where like you have Yachty or Molina and you have Adam Wainwright, these savvy veterans leading, you know, the next wave of Cardinals stars of Ozuna and Reyes and Flaherty. Like it, it, it's like that exact mix of talent in terms of experience and just the quality of talent that you need to kind of um, make it that far. Completely. I want to wrap up the NL before we get over to um, the individual future stuff, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least talk about or um, the Bryce Harper situation in Philly. Um, is there, you know, how do you, I know you said you, you're kind of down on, on the thought process of him. I mean, when this, when this number opened for win totals, Philadelphia was at 82, which I took the over on just because I, I thought it was very low with or without him with what they were able to accomplish last year. Um, you know, even with some regression, I thought 82 was just crazy low. They eventually built that number into the line of Harper expected to go there all the way up to 86 some of the square shops again you know up to 88 88 and a half 89 um where do you you know let's say this from a an individual perspective of harper how much better does he you know make them as kind of the last jumping point in the national league and um let's say over under three three and a half years for him to win an mvp in the next three and a half Oh man. So this season specifically, um, I believe my model improved the Phillies, um, just team strength win number by, I think it was just above or below five. I can't remember which, which one it was. Um, so, I mean, I know I'm personally down on Bryce Harper, but I think my model, um, is a little more optimistic. I think, although I'm down on him in terms of, I I think by far he's played his best season. His his best seasons are behind him, especially, I don't think he'll ever reach the peak he reached previously. Um, But at the same time, I think people are really overlooking, you know, the, the average um, amount that he's going to be paid over the course of this deal. I think that'll definitely work in their favor um, as contracts get bigger and beefier. Um, It's, and I have a friend who I made some personal over under bets with. I took the under on his batting average being 265. Um, I think I took one uh, relating to his home runs, but you know, I, I think given what he'll cost, he'll be sufficient. Um, I don't think he's going to be like blow your socks off in terms of your over under three and a half MVP. I don't think he'll, I'd be, if there was a prop out there, will Bryce Harper, uh, over the course of his contract, finish top three in MVP voting in any season, I would take no. Um, and I feel like that'd have some really nice odds on it. And I, I feel like I've made out like a bandit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess, like I said, it's, it's one of these weird situations where my numbers like it and I maybe don't. I agree with you, man. I think the kid is is crazy, but I think that they're paying a little bit for what he uh, his accomplishments in the past more than the future. That being said, from an investment standpoint of being the face of the game um, and bringing that to your city, that's the cost of doing business, and he's going to be worth a, a lot more than just what he puts out on that field to the organization. So I certainly understand it. I just think people are overreacting to it a little bit, and there is the caveat on there of, of course, he you know has these gaudy, unbelievable numbers um, at that stadium. So who knows? 
knows with that, but I am with you uh, lockstep there as well. Um, let's move over to the individual futures is something that are my absolute favorite out there. Um, but before we do that, as always, guys, it is March and what you're betting on is just as important as where you are betting it, if not more important. And that's why, as always, we are sponsored by mybookie.ag. Mybookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Sports Gaming Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast. As always, enter promo code SGP50 for a 50% deposit bonus up to $3,000 today. That is mybookie.ag, promo code SGP50. And the Sports Gaming Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast is partnered up with playbalto.com for our March Madness bracket. It is absolutely free to play. If you have the best bracket on Balto, you win $1,000. If you refer the person who has the best bracket, you win $5,000. If you have the perfect bracket, a hundred gram goes to you. Playbalto.com, P-L-A-Y-B-A-L-T-O. Go to sportsgamingpodcast.com slash madness and join the SGP pool. And again, free to enter and upwards of 100,000 for the perfect bracket. Refer a friend who has the best bracket, you get five grand. And if you have the best bracket, $1,000 goes out to you. All right, man. So let's do this. Let's go through and do, I guess we'll just start with... Um, We'll start with AL MVP. Why not? Mike Trout at even money. Um, let's do this. We'll do kind of a couple chalk ones in there and we'll do a couple uh, value plays in there that you could see kind of somebody at least outperforming their value as something you could sell the prop swap or anyone that at least has the narrative theory and the ability to win this award when, of course, you know, Yelich coming out, I think it was like 80, 60 to one, maybe even a little bit higher last year, of course, in the NL. But um, Trout at even, Mookie Betts plus 500 to repeat, Aaron Judge at 10 to one, Bregman 18 to one, Jose Ramirez 20 to one, uh, Lindor 20 five to one along with Correa and on down through the line. I'm not going to go through everyone's odds here, but is there, um, is this Trout's year as somebody who is, you know, missed some time with injuries as being, you know, a little bit, I want to say wasted, but he's being wasted on the angels right now. Um, although they did get Otani, who is likely to hit, but not pitch. Um, where do you see this award coming from, from at least a, you know, a chalk perspective, a value perspective, or maybe even a narrative one that you could see somebody out there. And I can give you the odds if, if you don't have them in front of you for anyone that you have in mind. So, yeah, I think given Trout's um, issues with injuries these last two seasons, it's, I feel like, I don't know, maybe this makes me a square in this particular market. It makes me want to kind of fade Trout and try to find value elsewhere as a result. Um, and I guess even in my model, Mookie isn't that, I mean, there is a gap, but the gap isn't as large as maybe the odds suggest. Not a $5 um, Mookie, gap. Yeah. Yeah. Mookie, like Mookie should not be five to one to trout being even. Um, especially if you do, if you do take that approach, I do. And you just kind of assume, you know, trout's not going to play the full season, um, which I know is kind of a dangerous assumption to make, but it's one of those gut feeling I'm, I'm sticking with this. This is how I'm doing it. Um, outside of that, I do. It's tough now because he does have the injury to start the season, but from what I can gather, it doesn't sound like he'll miss too much time, but Francisco Lindor being up to 25 to one in, in some uh, markets is kind of ridiculous to me. Um, I still have him as a top five player in the AL um, in, ter in terms of um, position players. Yeah. Like you, you do cut, run into the issue with Jose Ramirez and the whole, you know, eating into each other's votes. But um, my, like just looking at my model, it does have Lindor having a, a sizable enough edge over Ramirez where, you know, Ramirez is 20, 20 to one to Lindor's 25 to one. It makes Lindor, you know, the better value proposition there. Um, other than that, I, I spoke on it earlier. My kind of approach with the MVP is, 
you know, kind of cutting out Trout and then just assuming that there will be enough Astros players being really, really good that um, they'll kind of all take each other out of the race. Um, But, you know, as I say that and I cut out, you know, all those those good candidates, I can't really find one that I'm really in love with here on the board. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I would stick with Mookie and Lindor. Do you feel that same type of way when it comes to guys like Judge and Giancarlo Stan, you know, being that they're so close together, Judge at 10 to 1 and I mean, a former MVP here and Stan at 30 to 1 is probably going to entice betters the same. But again, it, they're going, they have kind of the Lindor Ramirez aspect to them as well. Yeah. And I think you kind of lose a lot there just because, I mean, it's hard to not say that Judge's odds kind of come with. Um, the size of his name. Um, and you can say similarly to Stanton on a, a slightly lesser extent, obviously they play in a massive market. Um, everyone knows Aaron judge. So I think that that does affect their price. So it's not as good of a value proposition as, you know, those two Indians players. Um, but yeah, like I'd rather take Mookie at his slightly shorter odds than take judge or Stanton. Do you have any issues when we talk about this philosophy with, again, J.D. Martinez being there? Um, Xander Bogarts could possibly have a, you know, a little bit of a breakout in a contract year. I mean, is there somebody on a team that's kind of standalone that is worth the value? I mean, there's a huge drop-off here for me, at least when I look at these, from the 30-1 to 1 to 40-1 to 1 odds. Like, when you go from 30-1 to 1 of J.D. Martinez and Giancarlo Stan, again, Correa and Lindor at 25-1, to 1, and then the next best favorite is George Springer, Chris Davis at 40-1, to 1, Gary Sanchez 50-1, to 1, Jose Abreu 50-1, to 1, and, I mean, then you're talking guys, no marmas Zara, Castellanos, Matt Olson, um, you know, Benintendi in there again, same problem. There's, I just, when I look at this, I, be, I feel like people are, it's hard to be a, a stud on a very bad team alone. Goldschmidt really kind of tried to do this, although he had Pollock for a while. Freddie Freeman was the one that came to mind for me, but now he um, obviously has Acuna and has, you know, so many different people in there as well. But Freeman year after year garners the votes. Um, is there anyone that kind of stands alone on a bad team that you think is worth a, a little bit of a shot, um, either be it, you know, change as a breakout or anything like that? No, not really. Yeah. Like, yeah, like you it. said, there's that massive drop off. And then from there, it's kind of, it, you really have to put together a narrative in your head. Like that is just above and beyond what we see out of most, you know, MVP candidates. You don't really see like those type of campaigns. It's basically, you know, you're on a top team and you're the top name. Um, you have your exceptions here and there from time to time, but yeah, the, this whole market kind of like falls apart after that whole Stanton uh, drop off. Completely, completely. At agree. least for me. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Let's move over to the NL where, again, it's been a little bit, you know, without a guy like Trout. Um, no, now enters Bryce Harper into the favorite, which is a little bit crazy to me, but Bryce Harper ends up at plus 500. Nolan Arenado, 7 to 1. Paul Goldschmidt, 10 to 1. Chris Bryant, 12 to 1. Manny Machado, 15 to 1. Freddie Freeman, 20 to 1. Adrino Suarez, 20 to 1. Yelich to repeat at 18 to 1. Rizzo, 25 to 1. I'm just going to go a little bit deeper because I think there's a lot more name value here. Baez, 25 to 1. Rendon, 25 to 1. Acuna, 25 to one, uh, Joey Votto, 30 to one and Juan Soto, 30 to one. And again, on down the line through there a little bit of a, you know, obviously even just going by the odds of a much more wide open field here. Um, what are your thoughts of Ken kind of lump the chalk of Harper and well, let's, let's, again, we, we talked about Harper. We're not even going to come close to betting him as a favorite at plus 500. So I don't think there's a lot to do there. So let's say Arenado and Goldschmidt at seven to one and 10 to one. And then we'll go to go down through and see if we can find value there. Is there, is there any interest for you for Arenado and Goldschmidt? Yeah. Like I, I haven't actually looked at this market, um, since the Harper signing, or at least since they've updated the odds after that signing, 
Um, and you know, just Harper being the favorite that screams to me that there's gotta be value in this market. Um, I think Goldschmidt at even 10 to one is, is bettable. Um, I personally have, haven't bet it, but, um, I actually might have to go run and make a bet, um, after this recording. Cause I mean, yeah, I just Harper being the favorite and, you know, it's not a massive gap in, in terms of odds, but for him to eat up that much, you know, implied probability is, is a massive signal for value. And then on top of that, I mean, Yelich, he's a little further down, but I don't think he has what it takes to put together back-to-back MVP seasons. Um, in fact, I think even in my model, the model has Kane as a more, um, Lorenzo Kane as a more valuable player for the Brewers this year. So, I mean, if you, if you want a huge long shot, um, whatever shop offers you the best odds on Lorenzo, if you, if you believe the Brewers, can make it to the playoffs again, um, then I would say Kane is, is up. He has a pretty good, you know, story there to, to win the MVP. Obviously it is a long shot. So in nature, um, it's not very likely, but, um, the narrative is there. And I think the value is there just based on the fact that Yelich, Yelich's odds are so high, just based on him winning it last year. Um, outside of that, as much as I would love to convince myself, there's a Cubs player on the board with value. Um, Rizzo can re- be really streaky and that can really hurt you when putting together an MVP performance. Um, unless you're coming off, you know, a hot streak, like a really long sustained hot streak to end a season, which I guess Rizzo could do. But I, I, when you're playing with a high variance player like that, you know, it's funny. Now that I think about it, I always view Rizzo as a high variance player, but it seems like year over year he puts together somewhat respectably similar performances. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, the Baez, I mean, you can toss him out. I think, like I said, he's a massive regression candidate. But if there was two more long shot candidates, I think Vado is really intriguing. Um, I think if you see the Reds have a winning record, even if they don't make the playoffs, I think, you know, obviously with what he does year over year, it, it'd be hard to ignore Votto. Um, he doesn't really have someone on his team that eats into his votes. Um, and then other than that, I think Turner, I think the market is a lot more down on Turner than I am. Um, his MVP odds suggest, you know, that he won't return to form, but I think. You talk about Justin uh, Turner or Trey Turner? Uh, Justin Turner. Yep, Justin Turner, uh, 30 to one. Yeah, thirty to one seems a little high for me. Um, yeah, those two I think are, are good long shot candidates, along with Lorenzo Kane. If you're a believer in the Brewers, I love that take. Look for me, man. Nolan Arenado is another guy I have had an infatuation with for a very long time. He's the model of consistency. His home run props are usually set at thirty five and a half, and all he does is go over while he has finished <laughs> above his previous. Uh, year standing in MVP voting uh, every single year since his first inception. So I believe he went from uh, fifth in MVP three years ago to fourth to third um, this past year. And so to me, um, again, he's getting down into the range where it's going to become not profitable to at least put a little something on him every single year. But I don't know if I could forgive myself if this was the one year that he did on the heels of signing that contract. I really wish he didn't sign that contract at this point because um, a motivated Nolan Arenado 
playing games at cores could have been a very dangerous thing. And we talked about how I feel about Goldschmidt being that um, I'm a narrative guy. I I've always have believed that there is um, something to that and not even in the terms of, of fixing. I think a player just eventually wants to get over that hump and Goldschmidt is certainly primed to do that. Um, when you look down the board, look, uh, as you touched on, I, I am so in love with this Nationals team. I think that Trey Turner could win an MVP in his career. I think that Anthony Rendon could certainly, um, you know, you're going to look up at the big, at, at the all-star break and see that he is the odds on favorite somehow because he's hitting 360 and is doing everything for them. Juan Soto, as we touched on at 33 to one, um, Acuna at 25 to one. These are guys, you know, two guys to me that are certainly going to win an MVP in the future. And I would argue that this bet is a positive, you know, plus EV, as they like to say, uh, because it's not going to take you 30 years to cash this at, um, or 33 years on the case of Soto or 25 in the case of Okuna. So as long as it's above that, it's probably going to get a bet um, from me as I look down the line here. So tons of value out there in the MVP market. One quick thing um, with the whole Arenado thing, do you, so I've always viewed um, MLB award voters as um, I, I know we talked a lot about narratives, but they're probably the most statistically driven um, voters and maybe not most influenced by narrative. Um, do you think any time a Rockies player puts together an MVP caliber season that, you know, these like analytic heavy um, voters come out of the woodwork to, you know, do their typical, oh, they play in Coors, we need to discount what they've accomplished and kind of almost tank their ability to win an MVP? Because, I mean, they've had some great players over the years and, from what I can remember, they've only have they've only had one MVP in their team's history. Um, and I think that was the that Larry Walker season in was it ninety ninety seven. I feel like every time a Rockies batter does anything, whether it's when whether it's time to vote for the Hall of Fame or for MVP, I feel like you know those guys come out of the woodwork and try to try to pump the brakes and get everyone else to to follow suit. Yeah, I guess I should expand on, on what I mean by the word narrative. Um, I think that not talking about more so voting, I'm talking about a player's uh, performance, whether it be, you know, they're just there. When I say do, I don't mean do to have voters, you know, vote for them. I mean, do to finally have that season where they shove it in everyone's face and say, I told, you know, I, I've been this good for so long. And, you know, the kind of they have one more great run in them sometimes or whatever the case may be. I would agree with you a ton. However, Arenado, again, the big stat to me is he increased every single year. So even if that began as the case, um, it's clear, it's obviously changing a little bit in voters' minds as again, you went from five to four to three um, in straight years. And again, probably finishes two this year. Next year is the year that you want to back them in this scenario. But I would say that when you, we're talking about guys that play at cores, they it may take them longer to believe in them from a narrative perspective. I don't think Trevor Story is ever going to garner MVP attention until he puts it up for many, many years. I don't think, you know, even a guy like, um, you know, Cargo, Carlos Gonzalez, or wh whoever it is, I think that they, they're very keen to spot flash in the pan guys that are very obviously being impacted by cores. A guy like, you know, in theory, if Ian Desmond had had a, a career year there, I think that there was an obvious, you know, you kind of know who a guy is and when they kind of, you know, either come up with it's going to take them some time to believe in them. But for a guy like Arenado, I think it's very clear specifically because of the type of defense he plays. That is absolutely insane, which has nothing to do with playing at cores or not. So Arenado to me, like Larry Walker is just a little bit of a different situation because he's proved it for so long, but I would totally agree with you when it comes to guys, again, like the Trevor stories of the world or anyone who all of a sudden is hitting, you know, 35 home runs for as a career 20 type of guy, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. 
But let's dive into the Cy Young market here because this is another narrative here and somebody monopolizing the um, market share, specifically in the American League. Is Chris Sale going to be the best pitcher to never win a Cy Young? Um, is this the year dominating the market everywhere from plus 200 to plus 400 I've seen, depending on shops. Kluber at plus 350, Severino at uh, 8 to 1, Verlander 15 to 1, Carrasco 15 to 1, Garrett Cole and Blake Snell 18 to 1, Snell the repeats, uh, David Price 20 to 1, Paxton 18 to 1, your boy Trevor Bauer in there at 15 to 1, um, and on down through the line. And I can go through anybody that you want to talk about specifically. But again, let's talk about the chalk here. Let's put it, let's say Sale and Kluber uh, specifically. I don't think that there's an appetite from either of us to bet Severino at 8 to 1, knowing he's coming off some, some injury concerns there, unless I'm wrong. But um, what's your take on this? And then if there's anyone that you want to kind of um, dig into detail about, feel free and I'll give you the odds. Yeah. So to me, I think Kluber is definitely on the way down. Um, him having such high odds, um, along with, I, I don't like, we saw what happened with Chris sale last year. Um, obviously like he had an injury, um, and it limited, limited his in, innings and it kind of discounted his performance in the voters eyes. Um, I mean, if he, if he never wins a Cy Young, that'd truly be a tragedy given how talented he is. Um, but even if we ignore Chris Sale, obviously Kluber being up there and then Severino, like you said, he's dealing with an injury right now, which I've tried to gather as much information as I can about it. And it doesn't seem like they really know exactly what they're dealing with quite yet. Um, you know, with those two guys at, at the top of the board, again, like the, uh, the NL MVP award, I feel like this screams value to me. And I think that value kind of manifests itself with Garrett Cole, who, um, obviously he's on a rotation with Justin Verlander, who, you know, is the shining example of garnering Cy Young votes. Um, but I mean, Verlander himself, I think is, is on the way down. And I think, you know, Cole is, is due for, you know, that pay me type of performance. Um, and at odds like 20 to one in some shops, like I, I think, you know, the value is definitely there worth your money. Um, uh, um, I also see Trevor Bauer, 22 to one here. I, I mentioned him earlier. I, I really like his stuff. Um, you know, if he outpitches Kluber and doesn't, doesn't let Kluber eat into his, um, case, then I think he has a good chance. Um, there's another pitch on here that I mean, I like, but I admittedly only like them after you pointed them out. So I'm, I mean, whether you choose to mention him or not, I'll leave that up to you. If it's our guy, let's leave him away. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, but yeah, um, there's a lot of value here. And what I mean by value is guys that I think that look, when I buy futures, I have the, um, thought process that I'm only going to buy it if it's going to, it's going to get longer or shorter in season. Uh, I I'll wait to in season. These are all fluid odds. You can bet them throughout. So all I want to do is get the best of the number here. And there's a ton of guys that I think are prime for a little bit of a breakout. Uh, when you talk about the American league Cy young, um, again, I, we touched on Garrett Cole to me. I think that that's an obvious one. Bauer, I've seen a lot of love for, does it bother you when in terms of there's a, a real narrative out there for Bauer that, um, he, you know, for one, he may not even have the best talent on, on his own staff. I think he pitches in the most complete rotation in major league baseball. When you look top to bottom at, you look at Kluber, you look at Carrasco, you look at Bauer, you look at Shane Bieber. Um, it's, it's absolutely incredible top to, to bottom. Um, after that, I mean, Barrios at 30 to one is, was one that, um, I looked at again, just trying to get the best of the number here as I look down through this. And, um, there I was, was actually, good. um, 
That was the that was the guy I was referring to. Oh yeah, no, we can we can talk about Barrios. I think the kid <laughs> it just has a, a lecture stuff, and he has he has some a very obvious path to taking the next step to be a legitimate ace. It's very obvious. He needs to get better on the road. His home road splits are absolutely insane. It's like a th- uh, it's like a two eight at home and a four five on the road. Um, but he is a strikeout guy, which you know voters love, um, and he is you know somebody that has a lot of signs pointing to basically taking the next step and a highly touted prospect um, came up in the Manaya Sean Manaya uh, crop of prospects. So anybody with a high pedigree, I, I think certainly makes a lot of sense um, when you're talking about just trying to get the uh, best of the market. The uh, I wanted to ask you though, Bieber or a lot of love out there for Shane Bieber, potentially being this year's Walker Bueller. Um, it's largely Sabre metrics driven saying that he was very unlucky um, and he should positively regress. Do you buy that Bieber could be um, something of this year's Walker Bueller? Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely has um, the skill set, um, the talent. The he even has a, you know, um, he, he's in the right environment to really take his game to the next step. When you have pitchers um, of quality like he does around him, um, I mean, you you can only you can only learn from that. Um, I, I don't think he has what it takes to win the Cy Young. He could flirt with it. Um, Maybe he breaks out like Severino did when he finished. I, I believe it was fourth um, in voting. Um, but yeah, I think he just he his ceiling isn't that high. It's certainly high, but I don't think it's that high. All right. Um, who's your pick for NL or I'm sorry, AL Cy Young in a vacuum? In a vacuum, uh, most likely, let's we'll say odds. Yeah, aside. most likely. Most likely, it's got to be Chris Sale. Um, he's, he's, I think, by far and away the most talented pitcher. Um, it, obviously, the only concern there is is if he puts together the volume that it seems voters really want. Completely agree with you there. It's sales. It's the narrative is is out there that he can't be the best pitcher to to never win a Cy Young on this Boston Red Sox yeah. team. It's it's just too hard to do in my opinion. Let's flip over to the NL Cy Young and then we'll do Rookie of the Year for both and wrap up. Uh, Scherzer the favorite plus two fifty as he always is. Degrom up there at plus three fifty two. Repeat. Aaron Nola seven to one. Clayton Kershaw a staggering twelve to one at first look. Noah Syndergaard twelve to one. Freeland twenty five to one. Bumgarner twenty five to one. Corbin at twenty two one. Walker Bueller fifteen to one. Strasburg twenty. 5 to 1 um, and I can go on down to basically anybody that you want to talk about here. Uh let's say Chalk, we'll say Scherzer, DeGrom or everybody else. I would definitely take Scherzer and DeGrom versus the field there. Ooh, I would not yeah. have expected that from you particularly on the DeGrom side. Yeah, I mean <clears throat> I'm absolutely fascinated uh with DeGrom. I know we had like a conversation about how when he pitches, we don't even watch where the pitch lands. We just watch his follow through. <laughs> yeah, he has the Pedro. He has the vintage Pedro Martinez wind up, and it is absolute baseball p- porn to watch. Yeah, um, and then you know Scherzer is like the beacon of high level consistency. I feel like he's ju- he just goes out there, does his job as well as anybody else, and then that that's it. That's the end of story with Scherzer. And when you do that over a course of the season. It's hard not to rack up the Cy Young Award like he has um, in past seasons. Let's. Is there anyone of value that you think that could kind of break out here and make a case for themselves? Um, as I look down through this list, I mean, I, I know a guy that we both liked in Miles Mikolas at forty to one. Um, I have a little bit of an infatuation with the the Tampa Bay uh, deal that went down uh, of sending Chris Archer for you know some top prospects in in that deal and kind of that trio that fall out of you know fell out of that, if you will. Um, you know, is I think Nola is probably the one on the tip of everyone's tongue, but I th- again, I, I think there's a lot of. Um, 
guys that are, are banking on him to regress. And then let's touch on the fact that Clayton Kershaw, who was dominating this market for such a long time, now sits at a 12 to one and a guy like Bumgarner who did the same at 25 to one sandwiched in between people. Again, Walker Bueller, Patrick Corbin, Kyle Freeland in between the two of them is, is crazy. Yeah. I mean, I have a list of pitchers in my head that I think the market is definitely undervaluing by a significant margin, but you know, looking down this list, I can't really match up those players while looking at their odds and say, you know, they're, they're a significant value play. Um, maybe, maybe Walker Bueller at, um, I don't know what you're showing on your screen. I, I missed it. Uh, but 15 to one. I'm, oh, 15 to one. He's 25 to one here. So I mean, 25 to one. Yes. 15 to one, probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But other than that, uh, I have, you know, my guy who, is part of my future slate that I, I won't dive into because yeah. I think he's one of the, the larger edges I have. But um, yeah, I mean, outside of that, I, like this market kind of isn't as interesting to me as maybe the AL Cy Young or the NL MVP. I think you bet Scherzer to pay for your bets and then take a couple shots on whoever it is that, that you think, you know, may break out or whatever. Uh, let's say this, where does um, Clayton Kershaw finish in the NL Cy Young vote this year? Oh man. I am going to. You can set an over under. You're not going to go exact, but a roundabout, you think? Yeah, I'm going to throw it out there at over under seven and a half. Oh, man. I think uh, starting the year on the DL, that's a tough one. Just just goes to show you how, how far the fall from Greece can be. Let's um, yeah. let's flip over to the AL Rookie of the Year because I think this one is a little bit fascinating to me, especially with the news of the injury. Vlad Guerrero Jr. was minus 120, has moved up to plus 120. Eloy Jimenez was 3-1, to one, down to plus 250. Forrest Whitley, pitcher for the Astros, 12-1. to one. Justice Sheffield, 15-1, to one, who went from the Yankees as their number one pitching prospects all the way out to Seattle for James Paxton. Uh, Jesus Lazar. 25 to one Brent Honeywell 15 to one Bo Bichette 40 to one um, and on down through the line and we can kind of talk about you know their situation here is this let's let's call this one something you know obvious let's say Vlad versus the field um, and if you obviously believe that he's going to be kept down below thanks to the injury and service time which is the same situation um, with uh, Jimenez I believe so um, Jimenez versus Guerrero um, what do you think there I mean in terms of price it's a no-brainer to me to take Jimenez just because it's effectively one versus the other in the field this is kind of uh, Soto versus um, uh, Acuna all over again except this time it's in the AL here Um, what are your thoughts on this award I'm actually um, on the side of Vlad I think there was a couple weeks ago saying, you know, the Blue Jays front office didn't think he was ready um, for the majors, which was obviously uh, just just a disguise for the whole, you know, service time thing and them wanting an extra year of contract control. And I think this injury report is maybe it, it could be fabricated on some level to kind of line up with that whole like, oh, hey, we can't bring him up because he's injured. And it kind of, you know, just works in their favor, favor perfectly. Um, I would still take Vlad against the field. I think at the plate, he's going to do some crazy things uh, when he is finally called up and he kind of sticks on that roster. Um, don't get me wrong. Jimenez is an incredible talent. Um, you know, if, if it, if Vlad wasn't, you know, if he didn't exist, then, you know, this is Jimenez's award to lose. But um, to me, Vlad, Vlad is Vlad. And I think, I think this award will be his. 
All right, let's move over to the National League. And again, you went with Vlad. I, I would favor Eli, again, just based on price. If you ask me straight up who's going to win, uh, much like Acuna last year, I, I think it's probably Vlad. And again, you're getting a little bit of a price uh, discount because of of all those things that are that we just talked about uh, now instead of uh, before. Um, let's go NL. Victor Robles of Washington Nationals, plus 300. The favorite, Peter Alonso, plus 500. The power-hitting prospect for the Mets, Tuki Toussaint, plus 600. Fernando Tartis at plus 500. Alex Reyes, a little bit of movement there. That might have been my fault. Down from ten to one to eight to one to win Rookie of the Year. Um, let's uh, let me start on this one. To me, if it's a pitcher, there's nobody in this group with more talent than Alex Reyes. This is somebody. He's a career one point four four ERA. Somebody I've been on for a very long time, and his career has just been derailed by injuries. Um, Tommy John to a torn lat. I mean, the guy has gone through, or the kid really has gone through the ringer um, when it comes to not being able to put it together for a full season. But as the most arm talent out of anyone. So if you're going to go for the pitcher, which is traditionally not the way you should go. When, it talk, when you're talking about Rookie of the Year awards, um, that's the way that I would go. After that, I think this is chalk and it's Robles. I think that Robles and Soto are going to put on the best. They're going to be the best two outfielders when we look back at this um, to play on the same team, even better than Mookie and Benintendi. Um, I think that this is, if they had kept Harper and even without, I mean, this had been, this could have been the best outfield of all time in theory. Um, I still think it's going to be two thirds of the greatest outfield of all time. And, and I'm really big on Robles at um, to at least you know, outperform his market here, win or lose. Um, when you go on down through the line, Tatis Jr. is a top prospect with the Padres, who's now going to be playing alongside Machado, so that makes some sense. Tucson, again, it's a little bit weird of a, a pitcher market here, um, but is there anyone either that I didn't talk about? Um, Luis Urias has gotten some love, or, or anyone else here, or do you think it's chalk as well? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think, you know, Robles is the safe pick. I will say I am also fascinated with uh, Reyes. Um, in my model, he's even, um, he's projected to be almost as good as Nicholas. Um, and like in his range as players like Kyle Hendricks, um, new Darvish, who I said, uh, the model might be a little higher than the market than, you know, Louis Castillo. He's like in Tyler glass. No, he's like in that range. And, um, you know, with Carlos Martinez, uh, with his injury and he'll be missing quite a handful of stuff. bullpen the entire season i you know i i think there's a lot of value there especially at his odds i know you probably have ruined those odds for the rest of us but <laughs> only two um, two dollars sorry what was that only two dollars went from 10 to 1 to 8 to 1 yeah but yeah i mean yeah still at i believe you said it was 8 to 1 um that's still more than more than play on alex Reyes. All right, let's do this one real quick. Most regular season home runs, just because it's it's such a fun one. And my boy Joey Gallo was one of my larger bets of my life last year to go over thirty five and a half. Been up to he's up to thirty eight and a half, but he is now ten to one. I've seen the numbers all the way out to twenty to one in some shops. So certainly shop around. Stanton and Judge are the favorites to take home most home runs at five to one. JD Martinez twelve to one. Joey Gallo ten to one as I look right now. Chris Davis at eight to one, which is a little bit disrespectful for a guy who constantly puts up forty. Trout eight to one. Harper fifteen to one. Arenado twenty five to one on down through the line. Give me a quick pick or, or one or two here that uh, will at least outperform their value um, when, and you'll be able to at least you know, sell it or, or have it towards the end for for this. For me, I would look at a guy like Gallo. Um, I, I know that he's a very fascinating case study to um, you know sabermetric guys of, of what he was able to do, but specifically in the second half of last year, maybe put possibly put it all together. And Gallo, for anyone that doesn't know, was always this um, 
this is what Gallo was Brett, you know, kind of the pedigree on him coming out. He was the best power hitting prospect in the minor leagues. Um, and he certainly brought that to fruition. I would say the Mets, um, prospect may be just as good. Um, so Gallo certainly live to, you know, be the Chris Davis for a couple of years. Um, if he doesn't, you know, get the rest of his game together, but, um, is there anyone here that makes some sense to you, at least from a, an odds perspective? Um, from an odds perspective, or you can just I mean, give me no the, one really fascinates. You can just give me the in a vacuum, most likely uh, pick. That's fine too. Oh, okay. So yeah, in a vacuum, um, it's hard to argue against someone like Stanton or JD Martinez. JD Martinez. Um, I think between the two, I'd rather take Stanton. Um, but I, I, I do think you you're onto something here with Gallo. Um, he's kind of built from the ground up to do exactly what it is that he does already. Um, so, I mean, when you go to the plate with that type of mentality for a full season, I mean, it puts you in pretty good shape to, to win a, a home run title. So, yeah. Well, that'll do it, man. We can break down some, some, uh, player props, but again, I'm not going to keep you here too much longer. Anything else that you kind of want to talk about from a futures perspective, any prop, you know, player props that stick out in your mind that you wanted to talk about, that you feel special about, or, or anything else when it comes to, uh, kind of this 2019 season. I mean, we kind of broke this down for our picks for, you know, AL MVP and all MVP, uh, rookie of the year for both Cy Young for both. So those are the ones that people love, obviously, as they have the best odds, um, season win totals, anything specifically. I know, I know you touched on the Cubs. If there was any other ones that you kind of felt strongly about that you wanted to give out anything at all um in particular one that comes to mind uh, uh i guess I, i'll get your opinion first what, what do you what do you think of nelson cruz this year on the twins so I went uh, really back and forth and much like the Nationals, the more I look at the Twins, uh, the more that I like again. And I go back to the fact that they have scoop hitting out of the seven hole, which is really incredible. Nelson Cruz has been the model of consistency a la Miguel Cabrera. There was a years where I think it was nine straight years Cabrera went over his home run total that was always set at either 30 or 30 and a half back then. Uh, Nelson Cruz does the same thing um, to me. I may bet on the streak rather than try to uh, buck the streak type of handicapper, especially when it when we talk about pitchers and sabermetrics. You know, guys like that will always they will be perfectly fine losing four times, um, banking on positive regression. And I'm the opposite. I would rather win four times and then lose once and then get off and see what happens. It's the same thing for me with guys like home runs. There is that's the reason why I've always been on a guy like Arenado's over, um, Cabrera's over for all those type of years. So until he shows me that he's not going to do it just because he changed teams, which he's done so many times anyway um i would blindly take the over if, if you are you're asking yeah in particular um he has a rbi over under prop out there at 103 and a half and i am absolutely in love with uh his under um i guess i don't mind oh i was talking to, yeah i don't like sorry that. i was talking home runs go ahead Oh yeah, no, I, um, I guess I should have clarified that before asking, but yeah, uh, his under one Oh three and a half RBI crop, I think has a lot of value. Um, yeah, definitely you know, type he's of guy kind that can of, hit 30 home runs, but only hit or is going to be again, no, but they bought a lot of cheap power guys that don't get on base independently. They are, again, they're going to hit a ton of solo home runs because most of those guys are swing for power type of guys. They're going to fly out. Um, again, maybe aside from Buxton at the bottom of the lineup, if again, Buxton ever gets it together, maybe he could eventually hit lean up, you know, lead off as his ceiling. Um, but no, completely agree with you that again, it's going to be a lot of cheap power, CJ crone, um, those type of guys that it's home run or bust for them. And there shouldn't be a lot of guys on base ahead of them. So completely agree with you. I would go under that as well. Yeah. All right, man. Um, anything else you want to talk about when it, when it comes to features in this market here? 
No, I think we just about covered it all. We did, man. We got out of here in just a little under an hour 40. So we did it. Is there, I want to give you the floor to plug everything and everything you have going on in the space because you're doing such incredible stuff with the content that you're putting out there and the plays and everything that's available. So anything and everything, um, I want to give you the floor where people can find you on Twitter, your website, um, what you're doing for MLB this this um, upcoming season, everything. The floor is yours. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm relatively new. I think I just joined or not joined, but started tweeting, uh, maybe like five months ago. Um, so a lot of this is all new to me. Um, but basically the place you can go for, to catch all my work and content is, um, Samcon models on Twitter and then samconmodels.com um, for all my write-ups and whatnot. There's the Kyle Freeland piece that I mentioned the Cubs under piece. Um, and, and there's a bunch of my other past write-ups if you want to catch up on my work and how I kind of approach things. Um, outside of that, I actually today, um, announced that I, I would be selling, you know, MLB model plays. So if that's something that's of interest of your listeners, they can check that out. Um, but other than that, I have been trying, or I have been dedicating myself to at least one, um, MLB write-up per week. I usually push those out on Wednesdays. Um, so, uh, by the time you're listening to this, there might even be a new write-up for you to, to chew on. So I guess take a look at that. Awesome, man. Well, I cannot thank you enough for taking such a such a big piece out of your day to come on and talk baseball with me. And again, man, we will be, you'll be out here uh, what, next month. We'll, we'll catch some games and, and we'll talk about, about all this and more, man. Cannot thank you enough for taking the time, bro. I can't thank you enough for having me on. This was a, a great conversation. Finally spring, and I'm saying goodbye snow, hello adventure. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, you can get epic deals on your favorite Honda model. Ready to get rugged? Then take the off-road in an all-wheel drive Honda SUV, like the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, or redesigned Ridgeline. Want to take a spring road trip? Then check out a fuel-efficient turbocharged Civic or Accord. Say goodbye to winter and hello to a new Honda. Don't miss huge savings during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event. Now at your local Honda dealer. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier has arrived on Disney+. Plus. The world is upside down. We can't lose this fight, Bucky. If we do this, we're going to do it our own way. Experience the six-episode event. We're partners, co-workers. Not necessarily the team. No. We look damn good. Marvel Studios' The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, now streaming only on Disney+. Plus.